One of the best ways to earn more money is to start a side hustle. Part of growing your side hustle is working with the best tools to help you succeed. Shopify is here to help. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way did we just hit a million dollar order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify's easy-to-use system allows you to set up a sales page, take payments, and start putting your new ideas and products out into the world with ease. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to help support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beginners, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash beginners now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash beginners. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 67. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to talk about share buybacks. This has been a hot topic on Wall Street lately, and Andrew and I wanted to do a little deep dive into share buybacks and talk a little one-on-one about how they work, what they are, and how they can benefit the company and you. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to my friend Andrew, and he's going to start us off. Yeah, love it. I feel like it was meant to be, right? Well, the media talking all about buybacks, obviously a big impact from the tax cuts that Trump did. So it's very timely and it's also a good segue from last week's topic. So if you remember last week, we talked about owner's earnings and how that can be a better way to kind of calculate how a company is using you know, not only what's what's the company earning from the core business, whether it's profits, but also how is it allocating those profits once it has, once the company has that earnings. So owner's earnings is a way to do that. And one way that companies allocate cash once they receive those profits is through share buybacks. And so that's what we're going to cover today. You'll hear it called several different things. 
share repurchases, stock buybacks, share buybacks. It's all referring to the same thing. And so if we really get down to like the base root of what share buybacks is, is it's simply the company taking cash and buying back shares. So what that means is they're reducing the shares outstanding. What that does for investors who already own the stock is it pushes everything up. So it will push the market cap up uh, because the company is buying these shares. It's going to push the price up, right? So I'm sorry, the market cap stays the same. The price goes up because the shares go down. And then you also get anything that's valued on a per share basis will go up. So earnings per share, arguably Wall Street's biggest focus, that goes up because now you have less shares. And book value per share goes up, cash per share goes up, all those things go up. And so Wall Street tends to like share buybacks. And, you know, it's kind of debatable whether it's good or not for a company. It's very contextual. But before we get too deep into like the concepts between whether it's good or bad or whether it's optimal. I want to share a couple of articles that I've seen that are recent about share buybacks. And so one of them here is talking about, this is July 10th, we're recording this end of July. Tax cut triggers $437 billion explosion of stock buybacks. So there's, I feel like a general misunderstanding in the public of share buybacks and how they impact uh, a company. Because a lot of, you know, I don't want to get political, but a lot of the critics of the tax cuts, they will argue that the tax cuts are only tax cuts for the wealthy. And they will also say that workers are not being benefited by it. And so I think we do need to address those things because there's no doubt that once you understand how the stock market works, how stocks work, that share buybacks are almost all the time great for investors, great for the people involved in the company, and it's great for the economy overall. And so if we can understand some of the more intricate details of share buybacks, then we can understand exactly why that is the case. So you have to think first off, when we're talking about the wealthy, it is true. They say the top, and this is coming from the, this article from CNN, the top 10% of households owned 84% of the stocks in 2016. What you have to understand is that's more of a byproduct of a capitalist society. If you want to have small business owners you know what's what's the draw for a small business owner to open a business if they let's say open a pizza shop and they have to hire 10 employees in order to to run the pizza shop the small business entrepreneur needs to take on a bunch of risk he needs to raise capital he needs to pay for you know pizza supplies he's got to pay for the marketing advertising he needs to pay for the rent to keep his pizza place open. He's got to buy furniture. He's got to buy ovens. So all of these things are something that the pizza owner is going to do. If he, pizza store owner, if he's not getting a hundred percent of, you know, if he's not getting a significant part of the profits for opening this pizza store, there's 
there's not a good chance that he's going to take all this upfront financial risk, not to mention all of the time spent, right? So, you know, say for example that he's not owning a, like a large percentage of his company like a lot of the top 10% uh, of households do. So say he's he's able to to run a successful pizza business, but he's only getting like a 20% take of the profits. He probably can't support himself on, on something at a, such a humble scale as like a local pizza shop. So like there's no win-win for him. You know, he, ha- he has a ton of downside and not much upside. But in a capitalist society, he can start the business, take on all the risk himself and have... 100% equity of his business, which means he gets 100% um, 100% claim of, of the profits of the business, and that will allow him to support himself and possibly grow, maybe have another pizza shop and be able to hire more workers that way. One last thing I'll say is uh, guys like Buffett and Gates, these are really some of the people that they're talking about when they when they talk about the 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 top 10% of households who own a disproportionate amount of the wealth in the United States. They, they have been people who like founded their businesses or been big impacts, right? Like Bill Gates built Microsoft, Warren Buffett built Berkshire, essentially rescuing it from this floundering little textile business and making it into a huge conglomerate that that buys businesses and and is an insurance titan and uh is able to allocate capital really well by making good acquisitions they so they are the other byproduct right so if you're going to let the pizza shop owner own a big portion of the equity and the profits then also the the people who work to make these businesses so big these life-changing businesses the ones that serve so many people then that's like the other side of it. I recently read a book, uh, just finishing up. I might have uh, mentioned this book already, Tap Dancing to Work. It's talking about a, a good summary of a lot of the stuff that's been written by Buffett in magazines like Fortune. And uh, one of his big things in like 2010 time period was this movement to get a lot of the billionaires in the United States to pledge a big portion of their net worth. So they're they're him and Bill Gates, they were really a part of this movement to get billionaires to pledge over 50% of their net worth to charities and to philanthropy. And so they were actually pretty successful at that. They had a good group of people and really starting this movement of of doing less of giving a bunch of money to your kids and instead doing it philanthropy in a philanthropic way um, to really benefit society. And so there is a lot. What What is the way that they're doing that? They are doing that by giving up some of their ownership. So Buffett gives away, I think it was somewhere between 4 to 6% of his Berkshire shares towards charity every year. Stock buybacks increase the value of those Berkshire shares. And so really he's, He's uh, helping, you know, these share buybacks are, are kind of being very fruitful when it comes to the overall economy, when it comes to society in general. And I think that's something that's not really, I get it. 
like I, I didn't know this stuff until I really started studying finance and studying the stock market, studying these great investors. Um, but the more you study about how the business world works, how capitalism works, how the economy works, then you start to get better insight on share buybacks. So that's some of the good parts of share buybacks. And I'm not even talking about, um, you know, how workers benefit through stock options and things of that nature. What are some of the downsides to share buybacks? And maybe I'll have you, Dave, chime in on your idea of um, if we talked about some of the benefits to the economy and to business in general, when it comes to share buybacks, what are some of the potential negative consequences of share buybacks? One of my favorite apps on my phone, Monarch Money. Monarch Money allows me to easily see my finances, helping me better manage my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and my spending without having to log into four different accounts to see where I am. This gives me more time to focus on what's important to me. Monarch also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. You can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions together. No more mysteries or confusion. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. One of our biggest challenges when we started our podcast, it was editing and transcribing the show. The technology wasn't there, and it made growing the show that much harder. Once the technology improved, we could spend more time on the show, improving the content and marketing. If you run an e-commerce business, then you already know the pain of time-consuming work to fulfill orders, not to mention all the resources used up. Enter ShipStation. They make it easier. They're the multi-carrier shipping solution that integrates wherever you sell online, including Shopify, and streamlines your workflow so your business can grow even when you're on summer vacation, like hopefully now. ShipStation's easy-to-use, simple dashboard makes it easy to automate shipping and manage your orders all from one place, even for a tech-challenged guy like me. Easily import orders from everywhere you sell online with shipping configurations automatically applied. Scale your business and reduce warehouse costs with ShipStation's reliable enterprise solutions and save thousands on shipping costs with discounts up to 89% off UPS, DHL Express, and USPS rates. Work less and ship more with ShipStation, the innovative tool that helps you turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code INVESTING to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code INVESTING. 
This is Chris Christensen from the Amateur Traveler Podcast. The Amateur Traveler Podcast is about the love of travel. It's about where to go and why you should go there. We're going to open up to you different destinations you haven't heard of or places you have heard of but things you didn't know to do while you were there. Each episode is about 45 minutes long, and it's typically an interview with someone who wrote the guidebook on that destination or who has been there or who's a local tour guide or someone who is an expert on that destination and knows how to tell you what to do to get the most out of your precious vacation time. So if you value your vacation time and you want to use it wisely, listen to Amateur Traveler and learn about destinations both domestic and international, places you've heard of and places you haven't. Amateur Traveler has almost 900 episodes talking about different destinations. So if there's a place you want to go, odds are we've already covered it and can help you plan a trip there. Amateur Traveler, subscribe today. Hey listeners, you know what makes life more fun? Having your money situation solved. How great would that be? Today, I want to introduce you to The Stacking Benjamin Show, a podcast that delivers exactly what you most want when you listen to money podcast, less preaching and more genuine money talk. Do you want to learn how to build wealth and manage your money? The Stacking Benjamin Show has you covered with practical advice and expert insights on personal finance. The Stacking Benjamins is run by former financial advisor Joe, co-author of Stacked, who CNN just awarded a number one spot on money books you need to read, and OG, short for other guy, of course, who is a working CFP who is familiar with the struggles and latest trends in the money world, all created live from Joe's mom's basement in Texarkana. Their headline segment keeps you up to date with the latest lessons to be learned from the news, and their TikTok minutes shines a light on just how bizarre money advice can be online sometimes. The Stacking Benjamin Show was just named Best Personal Finance Podcast by Bankrate. Here's what they said about it. Unlike other competitors hitting the airwaves, the team doesn't tote Stacking Benjamin as the be-all and end-all for lessons on money. Instead, they share a broad range of concepts and resources to create a more comprehensive financial foundation for their listeners. Fast Company calls Stacking Benjamins a perfect blend of fun and functional, and I think you'll feel the same. So if you want a podcast that delivers exactly what you need most in a money show, tune in to Stacking Benjamins. Find them on all major podcast platforms, including where you're listening to us right now. Your wallet will thank you. Well, the first one that pops to mind is the one of the reasons why you would do share buybacks is it you don't really have any other option to use your money for. And so you can either use them. You know, there's basically three different ways you can use your money when you have cash left over at the end of month, year, however you do it, is you can reinvest back into your company. So buying more assets to grow, you know, grow your business, make more money, which we've talked about before. You can also use it to issue dividends. So paying us investors back for investing in the company. And the other option is doing share buybacks. So one of the ways when you're doing share buybacks that it could backfire or be a bad thing is if you're buying the company at a uh, premium to the intrinsic value. So just to use easy, simple numbers, let's say that the intrinsic value of the company is $50, but the company is selling for $100 currently, then if you buy your shares back at $100, you know, it's you're you're 
you're basically paying more for the, what the company is actually worth. And so in essence, you're, I don't want to say throwing your money away, but you're kind of throwing the money away. And in that circumstance, it would have been better to not do a buyback because really all you're doing is reducing the amount of shares, which obviously is in the short termism, which is one of the criticisms of doing buybacks is it, it can, as Andrew was saying earlier, earnings per share is a very, very big focus on wall street. And if you do share buybacks, the average person is just going to notice that, Hey, you know, JP Morgan went up by, you know, their shares went up by almost a dollar fifty over the last quarter. That's awesome. But if they don't look back and see that there was actually share buybacks and there was a dilution of the shares, then that's what really caused it to jump up. You know, irregardless of all the other financial factors that are going on with the company at the time, it could have been a negative thing for them to do in the long run. And so that's where you know, doing something like this, because, you know, we're not talking about, you know, pennies and dollars here. We're talking, you know, millions of dollars here that are being exchanged. And so if you pull the trigger and you buy back shares of your company at a time where it's overvalued, and then six months, a year, two years down the road, when you could have used that money to buy more assets to build your business, then that would be a negative thing for the company for sure. And that's, you know, to me, those are the two things when I've read about buybacks, those have been the two negative uh, things that I've come across is the overvaluation of companies. And with the stock market being as heated as it has been over the last, you know, four or five years with, you know, the the naysayers and doom and gloom people saying, we're, you know, we're in for a uh, you know, another crash anytime here in the near future, everything's overheated like that. You're going to be buying shares that are are overpriced and that's more of a bad use of money. And I guess one of the things that I would segue a little bit off of that is Warren Buffett talks a lot about share buybacks and he's asked that question all the time because he, as we've said before, does not issue a dividend. And so one of the ways, really the only two ways that he can pay us back are either doing share buybacks or the share price increasing. And so obviously his share price has increased you know, even since you know, four years ago, it's gone from $95 to $198. So that's a huge increase, which is awesome. But he's also sitting on $105 billion right now. And so there's been a lot of criticism about him, about what is he going to do with his money? And so there was a recent news article that said that he announced, uh, their board announced that they changed the rules for their company on what they would consider doing uh, share buybacks. And I will put a link to that article in our show notes. So if you want to read more about that, uh, I won't go into all the technical details that he was talking about, but it was good news for the company because that means that he's opening up his the opportunity because he feels like his company right now is undervalued. And so buying those shares back would be a boon for the investors because it would raise, you know, the it would help raise the price. It would help raise, raise the earnings per share and all the financial metrics associated with that would improve you know, quite a bit. So, uh, that's big news, uh, in his world because, you know, his opportunity for that 105 billion is because he feels like things are so overvalued right now. He hasn't had a lot of opportunities to buy other companies, which is his really means of buying assets. And I guess those are some of my thoughts on maybe the negativity of possible buybacks. Your thoughts? Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook 
at stockmarketpdf.com. Oh, that's exactly it. I think I, I haven't checked it lately, but I believe Berkshire still has a decently low price to book ratio. So it, it does, you know, make sense. That's probably another factor. Like you said, for one, the acquisition prices are probably very, very high. You'll tend to see, you know, if prices are high in the stock market, you can bet other companies are going to want high prices as well if they're trying to sell their businesses outright in something like an acquisition or a merger. And the other factor probably being Berkshire not being terribly expensive considering all the businesses that they own. Yep. So taking a real quick uh, look at uh, Berkshire, why Andrew was talking about that, their book value per share right now is currently a little over $140. And the share price is trading at 188.47. So, you know, according to Buffett's calculations and the way he looks at intrinsic value, the company is undervalued. And the price to book ratio, which Andrew and I have talked about before in the past, is sitting at a 1.41, which is a nice number to look at as well. So that would also indicate that it's probably undervalued as well. I think that's about half of what the general S&P, if not less than half of what the S&P is trading at as far as a price to book ratio. It's somewhere in that range. You have to think, you know, on the one side, Buffett's going in and buying back his shares of his company because it's undervalued. It's a good deal for shareholders. And on the other side, kind of going circling back to what Dave said, if you really think about, imagine a, a company who had a bunch of cash in like 1999 during the bubble and they used a bunch of that cash to buy back shares. You're all, all that that's really doing is just perpetrating the bubble. And so if the, uh, if the price of your stocks already at such an unsustainable high level that we're talking about bubble levels, we've seen bubbles in the past, and I'm sure we'll see bubbles in the future, where that price got so high and then it will pop and never recover. Definitely in the, in the dot com boom, you saw that with some of these tech companies. And so, from a shareholder perspective, from an owner perspective, using buybacks in that way is not a good way to go because that is throwing away money. If 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 the share price never recovers, you you really paid a, a ton. You way overpaid for um the idea to to lessen the shares outstanding. There's a couple other kind of details I think we can cover about so so I guess we covered the generalities of positives, we covered the negatives. I'll add on another positive and, and see what you think, Dave. The when you look at like the life cycle of a business, when you look at like a core business, like let's take, you know, I'm not I'm not saying anything about about the the company or the way that if they're doing buybacks or what, but let's say like a company like Facebook, they the growth of their business will depend on how much they can monetize each customer that has a Facebook account. And then secondly, how many customers they can get to have Facebook accounts. We have to understand at a certain point, the number of people in the world is limited. Uh, sure, like you'll have population growth, but the growth will really slow compared to when they were first starting out. Maybe they just had... Uh, small market share percentage in the US. And then you compare that to already being so big that they're at a global scale that spending more money on advertising wouldn't 
give you more customers just because they're already they've already reached the whole world number of customers. So going back to like a positive of share buybacks, that would be an example where reinvesting in the business, trying to get more customers would not be as efficient with the cash than maybe giving it back to shareholders. Because not only do share the, the share price tends to go up because uh, the shares... Um, Sorry, we already covered that. Like the uh, Wall Street likes share buybacks, tends to push the stock price up. Good for investors uh, and shareholders in the business. Another example would be like Buffett's M and A situation, where where companies are really asking too much to be sold, and so you can't you you don't really want to waste cash in that way to, to make expensive acquisitions, and so. It's 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 something that comes with context, and every situation will be different. Every stock, every company, and depending on the market environment, it's going to be different. Uh, to what scale you want to see share buybacks? If a if a company if a company's core business is close to that saturation of growth point, then maybe that's a time to to buy back more shares. The other kind of third factor that we haven't talked about yet is dividends. And so, you know, you can reinvest in the business, you can buy back shares, or you can pay a dividend. I think it's kind of clear that if there's no good reinvestment opportunities or the the reinvestment opportunities are limited, you don't want to put too much capital in it. If the share price itself is very, very expensive, right? If it's overvalued compared to its true intrinsic value, maybe share buybacks aren't a good thing to go for in that case. So the last kind of logical thing besides leaving it and just accumulating cash, kind of like Apple's done, they, they've just accumulated a large cash balance. But the other alternative would be to give it back to shareholders in the form of a dividend. And it kind of, I don't want to say maddens me, but it, it, it's disappointing to see that a lot of corporations aren't doing this as well as they used to. And I don't know if it's because investors aren't, standing up for themselves in the sense they're not voting with their dollars, but um, the average dividend yield in the S&P 500 has been dropping for the past 20 years. And when you compare it to previous time periods, like the 70s, 80s, even back to like the 20s and 30s, we were seeing the steadily drop, a steady drop in the percentage of dividend yield being paid out to shareholders. And so how is that cash being used? It's If, it's, if there's no efficient way to, to, to grow the intrinsic value of the business, then give it back to the shareholders. Um, they can then take that dividend and reinvest it themselves. And so they will see guaranteed returns. They will see their own uh, ownership grow, right? When, when, share, when the shares outstanding shrinks because of a buyback, every shareholder now owns a larger part of the company because there's less shares outstanding. The same is true on the dividend because the, the investors can just simply... Uh, reinvest in the business and have more shares outstanding, and that gives them a greater percentage of part ownership as well. So while I don't, I don't have a black and white view on on buybacks versus dividends. I believe there should be a healthy balance of all three uh, components, but 
I'm maybe out on my own on an island when I say that I think dividends need to be given more attention than they are. And I think they need to be prioritized more than they are when it comes to distributing cash back to shareholders. Because one of the big things for me is that the the performance of businesses will be very up and down. It's rocky. It's never smooth and consistent. So you might have years where a company has a ton of cash and so they buy back a bunch of shares. And then in two years, they could run into some troubles and have to dilute shares to, to you know, they would have to dilute shares to raise cash to survive the tougher times. And so what you really have is just a bunch of cash and shares kind of moving up and down. And so over a five-year, 10-year time period, what happens if you buy back shares and then dilute stock and buy back shares and dilute stock? Well, the shareholders just constant. So really that cash was a complete waste and he didn't receive any of it. When you contrast that to a dividend, you're getting that dividend payment every time. So even though the company can play with their shares outstanding, the number of shares you personally own will always be increasing. And so you, you're going to expect over 5, 10, 20 years that the shares outstanding is going to jump around. But if yours is steadily increasing, you're getting compound interest no matter what. That means you actually got some of the profits that happened during the boom times and then believed in the company to sustain itself during the bad times. And so that's kind of why I really wish dividends were given more consideration than buybacks. But it does also have a very great utility in the stock market for all the reasons we talked about. And if there's a healthy balance, as long as shareholders are getting a decent dividend, then I think if shares are undervalued, that they should also be doing share buybacks. And it's really up to management and not there's no quantitative number that or no formula that can tell us if if they really, really did a good job. It's it's gonna be based on their judgment, what opportunities they have out there. But you know, you, you can tend to see if a company has a good track record, if they're doing well. Uh, if management's been competent up to now, then you can only hope for the best and, and hope that they can continue it. But the bottom line really is company will make their earnings. They will have EBITDA, like we talked about last week. They will have profits that they need to figure out what to do with. The three ways they probably can do it is share buybacks, reinvesting the business and dividends, or just holding the cash. There needs to be a healthy balance of both. Once you understand everything and kind of digest what we talked about today, you now understand that one component of share buybacks and why it's good, when it's not, and how it affects shareholders. So when you read those articles that you see online where they, they talk about buybacks and what that's doing to the economy and you know how much these companies are spending on buybacks, they're not throwing the money away. It's going to shareholders. It's going to anybody who has a retirement account, anybody, any pension fund that invests in mutual funds and index funds, anybody that's related to the stock market in any way, it is more often than not benefiting them. And for all the reasons we discussed, that is why. I agree. That's uh, Those are great points. And I don't think I really have much to argue with about that. I, I agree with all the things you're saying. I think that the move away from dividends and the move towards buybacks in the long run, I don't think it helps the investor. And I think that's one of the things that I would like to see them get back to and why that's happened. I don't, I don't know that I have the answer that maybe 
that may be an dig into that and find out why that has changed. I don't know if it's the short-termism of the Wall Street and that's kind of causing people to do that. I'm not really sure. But I think those were, you know, great points. And I think really dealing with you that doesn't need to pay a buyback because he's been so amazing at allocating the capital he has is, is you know, Warren Buffett. Other than that, yeah, they kind of need to give us the money back. Uh, I, you know, buybacks are great and it's, you know, fine and dandy in the short term, but I, I would rather have a dividend over the next, you know, 20, 30 years. If I own Apple for all that time, I'd rather have a dividend than for them to buy back once or even four or five times. You know, there's a lot of talk about what is Apple going to do with the money that they're repatriating from overseas. They have $252 billion sitting in bank accounts outside of the United States. And because of the tax code change, they are able to bring it back to the United States. And there's been a lot of discussion about what they're going to do with that money. Uh, part of it, they announced that they're going to do $100 billion for a new share repurchase program. And I know there also have been some brief discussions about a special dividend, but Tim Cook kind of put a kibosh on that because he's not a fan of that. But that's a lot of money. What are they going to do with that? And you know, one, why wouldn't they give it back to us in a dividend, raise their dividend? I know they're going to raise it around 16% this year, which is great, but why not raise it some more? I mean, there's just so many other opportunities and dividends are, I'm sorry, share buybacks are not bad and they are helpful, but I, I do believe that maybe in the short term, that's more beneficial in that realm. I'd rather have a dividend over, over the long time where I'm investing. So that's my thought. I'm going to end this episode with a quote from one of your favorite people, Jamie Dimon, the JP Morgan CEO. Yep. He was a, uh, that same CNN article I was referring to earlier. He was quoted as saying critics of buybacks are people who are quote basically ignorant. So I thought that was <laughs> I think it has a lot of truth to it. And uh yeah. Though you know though we both agree that we'd rather have a dividend, they're not they're not bad for the economy or for shareholders. So no, in no way, shape or form are they. Oh, I agree. All right. Well, without any further ado, I think that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on share buybacks and you learned a thing or two you didn't know before. So without any further ado, you guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 